so it's obviously pretty mental that we've we've got guests. Um, I think something that's even more mental is we've actually got a sponsor. Someone someone wants to put their their business to our our podcast. Yeah, I think whoever wanted to do that clearly has never watched us before. <laughs> clearly, never listened to this podcast because I mean I'm not sure sales are going to spike. <laughs> <laughs> It's, a, it's all about that association, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... Have you heard, have you heard the story about Glenn McGrath when is he, he, he was playing for Australia and all the, all the batsmen were coming in with all their sponsored bats? And uh, he had basic, Glenn McGrath basically said to his agent, why have I not got any uh, sponsorship on my bats? His agent went out and did some work and basically said, Glenn, you're so bad with the bat, nobody wants to be associated with your batting. <laughs> <laughs> and we are very much Glenn McGrath's batting of the podcast world. We are oh, so bad. <laughs> we're so bad. We're amazed anyone wants to be associated with us. Yeah, we're, we're we're delighted today for this episode to be sponsored by the Money Partnership. They're a financial advice firm, independent financial advice firm, based in Newport. If you've got any queries about investments, if you've got any queries about um, your pensions, should you merge them? Should you um, should you cash them? Um, seek those guys out. They're called the Money Partnership. A link to their website will post on Twitter and Facebook. Um, you can get involved, get involved with Garrett on the team, and they'll um, they'll provide you with some first class financial advice. How does that sound, Ollie? That sounds fantastic. We're recording this the day after the night before. Um, obviously, yesterday we sat down and had a good chat with Neil Leak and with Mark O'Brien, our guests. Um, what were your what were your thoughts on Ollie? Anything that sort of stands out to you? Twenty four hours on. So it's fantastic to get Leaky and O'Brien on. They were very good value. Leaky bought the uh, comedy value to the to the hour and a half chat that we had. Lo Brian was very very knowledgeable on the um, psychoanalytics of the game as well, which I thought was really interesting. The stuff that came out from from Mark, anybody would want to listen to that. Whether you supported Bristol Rovers, Newport County, Barnsley, Darlington, whatever, you know, it was as he used to say, it was very candid. It was very knowledgeable. And oh, it was a bit more serious, but there's nothing wrong with that, is there? Can I can I just do a um, a little presentation then before we go off? Yeah, yeah. I've got a pair of um, Matty Dolan boots signed for you. Oh, amazing! Right, so you can actually maybe. You've got to be some player about boots somebody. like that. <laughs> he is a good player. To be fair. He is a good player. Yeah. And 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 what's what my friend Mr. O'Brien have done as well? He's actually. Um, Donated one of his shirts for you. He has signed the back of it for you. Yeah, I've worn it. That's honest, yeah. It's amazing. Today on the podcast, we've been joined by our first two guests. So, um, the first guest that we'd like to introduce you to is uh, the star of the athletic article that came out in January. And of course, Newport County Kitman. It's Neil Leaky Leak. And joining Neil today, we are delighted to confirm that we've got a legend of a football club, a scorer of important goals, the Jimmy Glass of Gwent. It is, of course, Mark O'Brien. We will talk about that goal at some length a little bit later on. But first, we'll start with Andy's clip. Andy, what have you brought with you today? Well, you just said it. It's Cammy. Um, 
missing the red card at Pompey. It's one of, probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I just, I, I've actually watched it live and on, on, on Sky Sports. And even now, I just still wet myself laughing. He's just, he's just so vacant with it. It's brilliant. <laughs> the thing is, he didn't completely miss it, did he? Because he admits that he saw the bloke walking off, but he assumed he, that he was injured. Or he thought he'd been subbed. Been substituted. <laughs> <laughs> He makes me laugh all the time, Cammy. But that, that that clip there is just one of the best things I've I've ever seen on television. It's just pure brilliance. The, the, the look on his face and and the way that he, as there, Jeff. <laughs> but is it like we were speaking week one about we we like our well I like our like commentators and, and co-commentators to not be professional, you know. And I, I don't like unbiased like that. They make Jamie Carragher and they make Gary Neville like pretend they're not Man United Liverpool fans and legends of those clubs. But Cammy like. He's made a career out of being like a professional knobhead, like a bit of a professional class. <laughs> he embraces that, doesn't he? He embraces the fact that he's the class player. He knows he's the class player, and he, and he gets on with it and loves it. But I don't know how he's on there. Like the rest of the the rest of that panel have had pretty good football careers. You know, they they were pro- probably like elite footballers in their day. And then Cammy's come on there. He, he played for Leeds for a bit. He was with Portsmouth down in like League Two for for donkey's years. And then he's just he turns up, and you'd think he'd be the most prepared. You'd think because you know his career might be a little bit less prestige as, as, as the other guys. You'd think he'd be the most on it and he comes up and he's 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 he's, he's the clown. I don't know. I, <laughs> he's, it's a weird one for me that. I, if, you're, if you're the kit man, what, what happens when a player gets sent off? They're, they're, set, they're sent straight down the tunnel. Does anyone follow them? Does anyone do you just ignore them? Are they like the, the leper in the room? Like what happens? <laughs> well, I just send my Muppet as a kit man, send my apprentice down with him if he's part of the new ball. If he's one of the others, he's a bad if you, if you did get sent off, like what was the, or, or say your teammate got sent off and you either you either you were losing and went on to lose, or you you were drawing and went on to lose the game, like how does that feel if you're that person getting sent off? And then how do you feel when you know that person sat in the room and he he can't really make any noise, he can't really say anything? Like what what do you do? Do you, do you give him bad? Well, that was personal experience of that. I actually know what it was like at Wembley. It was nil nil. What were you uh, What were you sent off for? Two yellow cards. Oh, was I it two yellows? Yeah, it was two yellows. Like what? Like the fourth yellow wasn't a yellow. I remember I watched them back only recently, and like because one of the new analysis apprentices came in and he wanted to like um, check out some of my yellow cards, and I told him to look at the ones from Wembley. And even he said himself they weren't yellow cards. I only made two fouls all game, and those two fouls ended up in a sending off. You had to get that in, didn't you? You had to say, you know, <laughs> I have to get myself somehow. <laughs> Wasn't the second yellow because you were too slow, you couldn't catch up with it. <laughs> <laughs> the second one was literally he, he wrapped his arms around me, so as I went to grab him back, he went down. I Oh, so he slipped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even if he studs were to go down the back of his neck, they all slipped. slipped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Leaky, so what what were your how did you handle it? So obviously you've just been your players just been sent off at, at Wembley. You've just lost at Wembley, not as a result. Hasten to add, but it certainly didn't help proceedings. How, how do you, how do you treat treat anyone in that situation? Or you know, once they've been sent off and you've gone on to lose, how, how do you treat them in the dressing room? Like, what's the mood in the room like? Actually, it wasn't that bad, and we all felt sorry for Mac. In all fairness, yeah. you know, you don't do it on purpose, do you? You know, when you're trying to play a game of football, you don't do things on purpose. It's just, it happens. Yeah. The time it happened. I was more interested in the skybird by the side of me, so I didn't really care. <laughs> that's, why you, that's why you didn't follow me down the tunnel. <laughs> so I didn't really care, to be honest with you. So. And then, so, obviously, losing at Wembley has got to be a, a pretty 
pretty like galling experience. H- how do you come back from that? Like, what's the what's the what's the preseason like? What's the how do you how do you move on from 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 that sort of low to dust it off and we go again? I was lucky enough, like obviously when when Wembley finished, um, I ended up getting myself home to Dublin, and everyone back there is obviously going to be like so proud of you, and oh, it's so unfortunate what happened in the final and. I was able to just get away from it for so long and then I kind of had in my head, right, this next season's going to have to be the season that I'm going to have to like kind of rectify things. Like you, you put so much pressure on yourself because you know, but I was lucky enough because the Newport fans are so forgiving. If they can see that you're giving it your all week in, week out, they're not as intense as what other fans could be. So I didn't really get much of a hard time as much where I got a lot of support from them. So it made it a lot easier. Like obviously the band that still flies around now, even till this day, where they're still always saying, Oh, we could have been in League One if it wasn't for you. Or imagine if we were if we go to Wembley this 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 time around, at least we don't have you to mess it up for us and all. And everyone always jokes and laughs about it. But like you say, you have to take it on the chin because when you're in that position, I'm sure if someone else is in that position, I'd be the one to try and have banter about it and take the piss. So you do just have to take it and, and take it as it is. Yeah, and it's not like it's not like you never did anything for Newport County in the past to uh, sort of give you a little bit of credit for getting a red card in the playoff final, is it? Yeah, like I'm sure like there was a few things in the past that has happened at Newport. Like even in my fourth season when I was here, I don't really remember what quite happened, but it was it was something big like saving the club or something like that. I'm not too sure. <laughs> Yeah, so quite literally, without you, they wouldn't be there anyway. So you know, if anyone's going to get a red card, you're allowed one. To be fair, that's what I, that, that's what I try and keep. Uh, I keep kind of reminding people that now I was the one that scored that goal. And even even till this day, like Mickey, who scored the first goal, people forgot that he even scored the first one. And me and him lived together and he still laughs about it now saying, oh, he didn't even score that game. He must have won that 1-0 because no one ever says well done to me. I was like, well, yeah. it wasn't. The clip we've got involved here is literally just you scoring the winner at the end. Like we've we've bombed off to the Notts County get the goal. And the what happened eighty-eight minutes before then. How many people score a volley at Rodney Parade? Yeah, not many. Not many. Well, I suppose there's got to be quite a few because the pitch. They, no, a volley, do they? <laughs> no, and they come off your shin anyway. <laughs> shin are not those shin pads. Uh, I wore millions now. And when you watch it. See this? Watch a clip back. He doesn't even know what to do. It goes in the back of the net, and he's. That was going to be one of my one of my questions when he came onto it. But um, talk yeah. us through the celebration because I think if 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 I save my my club in the last minute of the last game of the season, that's not quite how I'd celebrate. <laughs> I know you say that's not quite how you'd celebrate, but that was my first ever league goal. <laughs> so, yeah, so I didn't know what to do. That was my first ever league goal. What a goal! So, like, I didn't. I didn't have any celebration in mind. I didn't even know I was going to be up that end of the pitch, that like that end of the game. I never, like, I've never planned out celebrations because I've never scored. So that was my first ever league goal. It's crazy. Like when I like when the when it actually went in, I kind of like just turned to run, and as I started running, one of the lads gave me a nudge in the back, and my whole momentum just took me over. Went into a forward roll, and then I had about six, seven lads jump on the back of me. Like I just couldn't move. And I remember I was that out of breath. I was thinking, all right, there's still more minutes to go in. And the ref put up like five minutes added on time. And I thought, I can't do five more minutes here. This has to just finish. But it was it was one of those it, like it was one of those moments where there was more of the celebration going crazy for me actually scoring my first goal actually than realizing what was actually happening. It was crazy. So in your time as kit man, who was the most demanding player? A real demanding player. Um, I would probably say Josh Laberty. Still is. Really? Yeah. I'd say Mickey. 
No, no. Why is he demanding? Jo Josh Labadee is, is got it. Sorry? Why is he different to everybody else? Why is well, he demanding? Oh, Josh Labadee, yeah. everything has got to be nice, clean, perfect, there for him. Tries to get you to do your jobs which you don't need to do in. It's not my problem. Look after this, look after that. But yeah, it is what it is. Fuck off, go and get someone else to do it. Because <laughs> I, I remember when Stuart Campbell was probably my favourite Rovers player. He used to he'd play every game. In the first half, he'd play in short sleeve shirts. And when he'd run out for the second half, he'd have a long sleeve shirt on. I reckon that must have just been superstition. At the end of the day, you have one top off me, you have that for the season. I don't give you any more. <laughs> so you, you wouldn't have allowed that? You wouldn't have allowed Stuart Campbell to do that then, no? No. No. So, would it be fair to say you run a strict kit regime at Newport County then? No, no, I, I, I'm pretty, you know, flexible. Depends how much money they pay me. <laughs> He's as flexible as a crowbar. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Trying to get a pair of gloves and hats off this fella is like you might as well, you'd have more of a chance of breaking into Fort Knox. <laughs> all about, come on. Have you, have you ever had any kit emergencies, like forgetting the kit or anything like that? This, you've heard stories about that from some kit men? Personally, me, no. Um, Never yet, makes a mistake. Yesterday, um, I arrived at the ground and my apprentice, which all oh, we don't know this, so my apprentice uh, went upstairs then to put the kit out. And he come back down, he said, uh, he said oh, I, I put the wrong socks in. Oh, Jesus. Okay, fine. So I phoned a couple of people around saying we're going from amber to black now because he put the black stops in. So I thought, right, that's all sorted. 15 minutes later, he says, Trammy is playing in all purple. And I said, yes, we know that. And he said, well, I bought the pur purple goalkeeper tops. Just <laughs> sort of like, really? Oh, yes, this was, yeah. yeah. So I had to travel all the way back then to the uh, training ground to go and get the... Uh, the green tops. How, how long has your apprentice been with you? I wouldn't even call him an apprentice. I just say he's someone who likes chatting to the lads and then throws he, a bit of kit around every so often. Yeah, we'd, we'd call him Gordon. Because he's a bit of a gopher for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> when I was on loan at Southport, we were playing Solihull Moors away and our away strip was like a luminous, bright, yellow night kit. And they played in yellow. So like they, they said to us, now we have to change. So we still kept our luminous shorts and our luminous socks. But we changed. And it must have been their 1984 rugby Solly Hull Moore short or whatever it was. It was the baggiest, most warmest, horriblest, longest thing I've ever worn in all my life. And we got beaten 4-0 live on BT. It was a great day. <laughs> <laughs> At least it was just on the telly to compound it. Honestly, like when we were when we were all walking out, I remember I was getting messages after. What sort of kit do you wear? That looked like, like literally from the Stone Age, and like, I literally just couldn't couldn't bear it. And then I remember at the end of the game when it was four 0 like I've never felt so embarrassed in all my life. Like not even just for the results, just for the kit in itself. <laughs> yeah, even if you'd have won four 0 there'd have been questions asked, wouldn't there? Around the shorts. But yeah, there's nothing worse than wearing such a baggy kit that's not even yours that like was ironed with a whip. <laughs> I'd like iron on a stone. What were you doing at, at Southport? They trust me, I thought the same thing. <laughs> but no. Like I was I was at Luton at the time and obviously a new manager came in, Nathan Jones. And obviously he like when a new manager comes in, they all have their own ideas and they all have their own players they want to play and stuff. And um obviously like I wasn't 
one of his kind of players and he brought in a different centre-back and I just needed to go out and play games. And at the time, because I wasn't really playing for Luton, there wasn't that many options. And Dino Marmaria, who obviously ended up being Newport assistant manager the year after, he's the one who took me to Newport because I went on loan with him for a month to Southport. So like things kind of worked out in the end that got me to where I was. But when I first found out, like they said, oh, you can go out on a month's loan to get some games, you can go to Southport. So I thought they meant Newport straight away because I remember Luton played Newport not so long ago. And I thought, oh, I'll get to go to Wales now. So then I checked it on Google and realised Southport's in Liverpool and I thought, where am I going? <laughs> and I had to stay in some B&B that they put me in and I think it was like an age restrict, like I think there was an age limit of like you had to be between 60 and 80 years of age to stay at this B&B. There was bingo nearly every second night and I stayed in the loft of it and I think it was like 10 quid a night and stuff like that. So Southport were paying for it. But like I enjoyed it because I was playing football there but also it was it, it was a kind of an eye opener to say like I don't want to kind of no disrespect to the conference but for myself from where I was coming from and the experiences I've had it was great to get games there and try and keep fit but also I knew myself that I wanted to stay in the league and try and like get the best out of my career that I could with obviously the circumstances that I had along the way Yeah because you were at Derby before Luton weren't you so you were turning out at, at Pride Park Rovers get this all the time. You get you get players turning up saying how beautiful. Well, no, they can't wait to get in front of the players at the Mem. They can't wait to play in front of the Thatcher's end. You know, the open secret is the Mem's a shithole. I think it's we're among friends here. I think it's fairly safe to say Rodney Parade's also a bit of a shithole. But it's your shithole and all that. But how how do how do you genuinely feel when you walk in there for the first time, knowing that you've been playing at Pride Park and that you know that the, the career that you've had before that? How does it genuinely feel when you as a player? Like, are you sold Rodney Parade or are you like, oh, we also play Rodney Parade, but we've got a training ground or is it is it club spirit like how how do newport sell themselves to to to, to play we do have our own little training ground but we, we we more sell ourselves on what we've done and what people get to see on a saturday right they might see rodney parade but at the same time they, they see the results we've had over the last three years they see the cup runs and the history that we're going through and everything that we're doing people are wanting to jump on board of that and actually want to be part of that so when people are wanting to come along to the when people are wanting to come along to Newport, they're wanting to put themselves down as an FA Cup run team. They want to get themselves on Sky Sports and ITVs and BBCs and get spoken about. And like you say, you see the lads in the Carabao Cup this year with beating Swansea, beating Watford, taking Newcastle um, to penalties when we should have probably beat Newcastle. And like all, all these different little things that people are wanting to start etching in and start saying, oh, do you remember when like Newport played Man City? I played in that game. Or do you remember when we almost beat Newcastle? I scored in that game. And it's more of a history thing now. Like I know like from the outside looking in to say, like it doesn't look like the most polished club, but it's a very tight-knit club where you do get your opportunities. Everybody does get really close together and it's a great group of lads. And like you say, if... It's it's something where if you do well by the club and you give it your all, you're going to get the respect straight back. Whether it works out for you or not, you're not going to get caned week in, week out. Like I've played at the likes of Luton, as I said, and Luton their fans after like one or two like after one or two games, whether whether they're winning or losing, like we could end up like winning a game and straight away on Twitter they're all over you and they're giving you all sorts of abuse and I had it at like that was that and Motherwell slightly, but Luton was the only time when I thought to myself, like, fan bases can be so horrible towards their own players. 
and that's something where at Newport you don't get. You always get your fans backing you. And I said, like like I said, I've had that from the great escape time to obviously getting sent off at Wembley. Like nothing was held against me. They kind of backed me up and said, no, we'll go again next year, which like you say, someone in that position or if you played for a different club, you could get a different outcome and it could ruin someone. Yeah. What, what league were Luton in when you were playing for them, Mark? They were in League Two. Was in League it, Two, yeah. John Still was the manager. So that great escape year, I had six months at Luton not playing. And then the following six months, I played for Newport and that's when I scored that goal. And I ended up playing Luton that season in the second half of the season. When I signed, when I signed for Newport, I ended up playing Luton. And Nathan Jones and like I, I got sent off in that game in the 89th minute as well, um, for two yellow cards. But at the end of the game, like we drew nil nil. Luton were going for promotion, and obviously we were looking to stay up. And we got a nil nil draw or a one all draw. So like I never had any bad blood against them. But I think it was just one of those things where when I played against Luton that second half of the season, like I wanted to kind of play well to have a point to prove to say I could have played for your team, but I never got given the opportunity. And I was, and like I kind of felt good in myself. Like obviously, it was I still felt bad that I got sent off, but for the fact for the fact that we didn't actually lose the game, I felt actually good good in myself again, and I actually felt like I was getting back to playing again and, and being happy in football. Were, they, were either of those were either of those yellows justified, Mark? The first one probably wasn't a yellow card, I'd say, but the second one was uh, was a definite yellow. Like I knew a hundred percent once I went in, I was thinking. I'm off here. Yeah. I just knew straight away I'm definitely off. Because it was like in it was like in the 86th, 87th minute and they just brought on one of the strikers, Isaac Fassell. And I like obviously from being at Luton, I know how quick he is. So he, like, they were on a counter-attack and as he was, was running at me to knock it past me, my legs were dead because Rodney Parade's pitch gets real heavy around January, February time. So my legs weren't feeling up to up to the best there and um he knocked it past me and I tried to read it just before he knocked it so I kind of like lunged in to think right I have to I can't get in a foot race with this fella and as he knocked it the ball went past me but he didn't and uh, I knew right away I was like yeah I'm definitely off here so I have all the Luton fans chanting cheerio and stuff like that and I thought oh, I don't need this right now it's the one game I don't need to get sent off in when you were when you were sent off were you not tempted just to give a little wave back to them Oh, I, like I went over and clapped the fans at the end of the game when it was one all. When the game finished the draw, I went over and clapped all the fans and everything was. But at the same time, it was still, um, like you say, you, you you don't kind of fall out with people or you don't try and rub people up the wrong way because you never know in football when you might come around and need someone's help or need that kind of, um, need that kind of out. So, like I said, I've never fallen out with anybody, but also you never forget certain things that happen at clubs. Just very quickly, who was the, the best manager, Flinney aside, that you played under? I would have to say I never really got a chance to play a game under him. Like I made the bench a couple of times. Um and like but his training sessions and the manager, like his tactic like tactical wise was Steve McLaren. Steve I thought, like training training wise and tactically wise and how he gets his point across and how you train every single day. Like it was, it, like it brought. You could feel yourself improving. Like it was, it was so crazy, and you could, like, you could feel yourself improving day after day. And he wanted you to play football, and he wanted everyone to be relaxed, and he wanted you to be physically fit. He wanted you to be intense, and you could, like, training with him day in day day out. You just knew you were like improving day in. And then I think the old school manager, Noisel Clough, I had for about six years, 
and he kind of made me the player that I was and gave me the opportunities that I had because I think without him with all like the certain things I've had like when I was 16 and then like ACLs and stuff he always stuck by me through everything and he kind of told me always defend first, try and play second, be a defender, kick it and head it, be what's like what you're supposed to be. Like you don't have to be this player that can take it down on his chest and do a 60-yard pass. I'd rather you block one off the line and throw your head in at someone's foot kind of thing. And I was like, well, that's the kind of player that like I was brought up to be. And me and him like kind of just got on really well. And he he was a manager that like I was lucky to have at the time when I was going through some of the stuff that I went through because he stuck by me as much as I needed. I needed like someone to stick by me and he actually done that. So leading on to that then, Mike, um, who was the best kit manager you've ever worked with? The best kit man that I've ever had is Leaky. Oh, well, like I've said it, I've said it already. It might be Fort Knox to get into somewhere, and it might be Fort Knox, but on a on a cold Tuesday night or a cold Saturday when I need some warm jackets and gloves and hats, he actually supplied them for me. So it's something that I can't really do. Just say no more, for. lads. No more. Say no more. <laughs> in doing my uh, in doing my research, Leaky. Um, I found that uh, Mark O'Brien was described as man of the match in a Derby County 2 Bristol City nil game. So um, there's a little bit of research for me. Um, and also, I saw you were... Was, was it? I think I remember that. Yeah, he said your character um, won, won, won Derby the match and you won 2-0. Yeah. yeah. Because I was, I, was I was only back from an... In- no, he wanted me to play like with a slight injury, I think, or I was only coming back from an injury, and he was saying that's the character I was. He said if the ball was in between me and my granny, he said I'd go through my granny to tackle the ball. Right, we'll move on to our second clip now of the episode. Um, Mark, I believe we're going to talk about the Conor McGregor entrance at UFC 246. As an athlete for when he was progressing from Dublin and he had absolutely nothing and he just worked hard and it's just something that I related to from someone back in Dublin to think like with all the stuff that he that he had like with his ups and downs and he's had an ACL injury and he just thought nothing's going to stop me, I'm going to be world champion, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that and like his whole mantra behind everything, I always kind of looked at him as a person like athletic wise to turn around and say well do you know what like he says hard work and he says dedication gets all the best results like I want to do that for football and when you see the support and the atmospheres that he creates and obviously the the crowds that he brings in and then you you see his philosophy on like the hard work and all that he's put in through things like I've always just seen him and it's a person from Dublin who was on the social welfare one week puts all the hard work in and then eight years later he's worth over 100 million now I'm not saying that could have happened for me but I just seen it as if I put hard work and dedication into my career who's to say I can't go on to bigger and better things and that's something that I always just kind of linked the two between them and he's always someone that I've always just kind of looked up to and always been proud of to say like you see an Irish man doing so well that like you always want to be another Irish man that's going to do so well kind of thing I would, and if I was able to get 100 million that would have been even better <laughs> 
Mark, it's, it's probably safe to say that UFC is a fairly violent sport. Have you ever been sent off for violent conduct or anything like that, lost your head on the pitch? <laughs> oh, in all fairness, I've only had one. I think I've only had three or four red cards in my career. But um, the lads were only, only only speaking about it not long ago. We played Lincoln two years ago or three years ago. And one of their players tried to turn on the halfway line. And I tried to read the turn at the same time. So people were saying, even if I had a read the turn, I still didn't tackle him properly because they said I caught him up around his hip. Not one of the best attackers that they've ever seen. So that was the only straight red card I've ever got. Other red cards I've got and have only always been um, two yellow cards, which have always been very harsh yellow cards. So really, if you look back at all, I probably shouldn't have been sent off in my career whatsoever. Maybe that Lincoln one, I maybe should have been sent off, but I would have called it maybe a, a strict yellow card I should have got. If the ball's there to be won and you just happen to just, you know, run your stops down, isn't it? It's, it's a yellow. Which balls are you talking about? I've seen three of my sights and, and chose two <laughs> over the one. <laughs> you mentioned there about um, a fellow Irishman doing well in sport. I was thinking about this earlier, just trying to just trying to think about what other country really backs its 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 professional sports people um, quite as well as Ireland. I know the Welsh, you know, Calzaghe had, had, had a lot of people following around the country. I know Wales at Euro twenty sixteen basically took over Paris and Lyon, but I think the Irish tra- traveling with the Irish in the Green Army. The Irish fans, like I've always seen it so many times, like it's it's unique. Like you see the likes, as you say, Wales, Scotland, Ireland. When they go to like these kind of big tournaments, or like, and it's obviously very rare that Ireland seemed to make it recently, but like you do see them make these tournaments, and like the fans just go there, and, and like yeah, they are going there with expectation of like wanting to do well in the tournament. They're going there to enjoy it. They're enjoying that country doing well, and that's why sometimes like it's a disappointment that when you see some other places that go there and like they put all this pressure on their nation where. You go there to enjoy yourself. The players are going there to enjoy themselves. They're not going to want to go there and not be able to play so well. Or they're not going to go there to try and disgrace themselves. They're going there to give it their all. And then when you see the fans on top of that, like the Irish fans singing through the night, you see the Welsh fans out on the streets and the Irish and Welsh fans can sit. Like you see when the rugby does be on even in Cardiff, the Irish and Welsh fans, they'll be out there drinking on the street together. And then when it comes to other certain sets of fans, there does be police and there does have to be like a separation and like there's none of this um togetherness that should be like in it and you see it like with every other nation like like you say and that's one thing that like i always said that it makes you that proudness to be irish because you see how well they support now don't get me wrong it's not like that we're trying to settle for the team not being great or we're going to settle for bad results but at the same time you can only do what you can you can still only just celebrate and still have a good feel and still have a good vibe around the place and that's one thing that like when you see the likes of McGregor when he goes away the Irish fans will fly to Vegas on a, on a Saturday night you see when Ireland like Katie Taylor the boxer is fighting in, in a world title fight the whole of Ireland's there you see when Ireland go away to the Euros out of the World Cup like the whole country comes to a standstill like schools and everything bring tellies into their school room so they can watch their country play and they're all just memories that people enjoy as they go along. Like it doesn't become a rivalry and it doesn't become like a hatred thing when they're playing against other countries. And that's one thing that like I always say, it's great because like the likes of Wales and even when I was in Scotland, they're kind of similar breed of people that like everybody seems to get along. And like I said, with other certain nations, it doesn't quite happen that way. 
there's a big elephant in the room there. But I think what sums up what sums up the uh, the Irish support versus versus anyone else in the world is the Irish in Italia ninety. Their support clamoured so much they got an audience with the Pope. Like the players and the and the backroom staff got an actual audience with the actual Pope during a World Cup, just because that's what the the fans etc were clamouring for. I don't think there's anywhere else in the world that maybe Italy, to be fair, but I don't think there's anywhere else in the world that would 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 be able to 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 man and command such a such a you know prestigious meeting almost. It's insane. Yeah, no, like that's what I'm saying. It it, it does be crazy, but like is in in so many years of when Ireland have been doing like well in in tournaments. Like even though recently, like results don't seem to be going Ireland's way, is it? Or I remember when they beat Wales one nil and James McLean scored um, the last minute winner. I remember being at that game and like there might have only been about five thousand Irish fans in the corner, but every last one of them, every last one of them made such an atmosphere for that one goal. And then I remember after the game, all the Irish fans in and around the town, and even though they beaten Wales. All the Welsh fans are out there drinking with the Irish even after the game, and everything is just going. Oh, what a great game that was, and what a great atmosphere! And it's something. It, it's it's things that like you can't you can't be. Like everyone's there to watch that team do well, but at the same time, you're not there to kind of after the game say, "All oh, right, well, like you're an Irish fan, you're not allowed in here." To, like they cause like kind of a disruption. Everybody gets along with each other, and that's something. Like you say, that's something where, like, with the Irish fans, everyone around the world knows that about them. When, like, they've been to Euros or World Cups, they know the Irish are there for a good laugh and they're there for a good time. Again, it's not that, like, we're wanting to... It's not like that we're there and happy that we're not doing well or that we don't want to do well. But we're there to enjoy our country's success rather than put pressure on the country to say, right, if we don't do well, we're going to cause an uproar and we're going to go crazy and we're going to put all this pressure on them. We're actually just happy with how, like the com- how the country's doing, and like you say, enjoy yourself along the way because it's far and few between that Ireland do get to these major tournaments. So why not enjoy it when it comes around? There are certain members of the uh, the Irish sporting press, um, certainly in this country, that don't really like that attitude. Uh, I'm talking about Roy Keane, who um, who's got a bit of an elitist mentality. Who comes in and and he doesn't like that kind of attitude of. Even Conor McGregor said it when he said, "We're not here to take part; we're here to take over." That do, yeah. do you feel a sort of a mindset shift change there, or is that is that is is the culture of sort of sport and excellence improving in Ireland? Like, what's the what would you say on that? Like, I know, like you say, like you have McGregor when he says like all of that, and like Roy Keane, like saying like the settle, like don't settle for less. Like Ireland need to be more strict. That, but I think the Irish fans are more realists than they are like holding expectations sometimes because sometimes when you do see them play like Ireland are a team that like they might turn around and say right they play for set pieces and they do go along a lot and now there's a different style coming into it there's a lot more younger lads so they are being that bit more patient and lenient to saying right we do have to bring the young lads through and we do have to um, go along with the way football is progressing and we are going to have to try and start changing our style of play but I don't know. Ireland are always like they're, they're a very like as you say proud nation, and it's and they're proud of who is successful for them. They're proud of who gets success for Ireland. Like and as well as that, because there doesn't be so many who come out of Ireland that makes such a massive success story. You have to enjoy it when it comes their way. So, like you say, when McGregor gets a chance to be a world champion or a double world champion, then you have Katie Taylor being a world champion. 
like there's not many times you can turn around and say there's many Irish world champions and then if Ireland make it to a World Cup or Ireland make it to a Euros you're going to enjoy it and then like you say you do have the people like Roy Keane whose mentality has been Manchester United he's a winner and that's great to have but also at the same time you have to be a realist and go right well we do still have to enjoy these moments because when they do come around which it's not like you're an English nation where it's going to happen every single year you've got a massive you've got a great squad of players you've got amazing players that like are expected each year to make a World Cup and a Euros every four years whereas in Ireland right you want to make it every four years and if it does happen brilliant it's great for the country and if it doesn't happen right on to the next one so Mark obviously you came out of, of Ireland where the domestic picture for football or soccer is certainly um, certainly a strange one given that it's not the, the the sort of the most popular sport in Ireland tell us about the the stories and the and, and how fated the national team are um, you know especially when you've got to get people in like like a Kevin Kilbans etc who may not be the best players but you know they, they come in and, and, and sort of pad the squad out because the talent pool is just just not there really for anybody to have a career in this day and age like I look even at myself now and like it was only recently where like someone's come out and told me I've played 200 odd league games whether that was in Scotland League 2 Championship all put into one category and the difficulties that I've had along the way with ACLs microfractures heart operations and everything and I still made a career out of it so like all these other players that have gone on to do Premier League look I have mates that are playing in the Premier League now that are going on to do amazing things and you, people could turn around and say oh yeah but he's not the best of players well got Robbie Keane who was your goal scorer there was still like the Richard Dunn's and there was still all Shay Given and there's still all players like that that have all had these Premier League careers that like you have to look at and go Jesus like Ireland did have an actual great group back like had a great group then and now they're getting back to that stage of that's where they're actually rebuilding it back to that now and they're getting to that stage of rebuilding it where they, they have more Premier League experience and they might be a young set, a young set of lads, but now they're looking for a, a new way in a new style of playing with a new manager, and we're hoping that it's going to be that promising like um, future for us rather than the here and now. When people are expecting the here and now, sometimes it's not as easy easy to have that. Yeah, I think that's it's quite an important thing to say, really, because Rovers are going through a bit of a bit of a stinker at the minute with our manager. I think we've won four and twenty-seven, which. Um, which is, I mean, objectively t- like really bad form. But it's kind of for us. We, we were we were we were second in the league on Boxing Day, and then we've just absolutely tanked. And I think it's one of those that we were expecting the here and now to be a bit more of a continuity and a bit more of a challenge, sort of vertically in the table, whereas we've just flown down it. So um, no, it's it's good to hear a sort of player's perspective on you know g- give them time. Don't don't hammer them on social media, etc. Because Rovers fans pretty good at hammering people for for for, for sort of individual ninety minute performances. You know me. Ollie and Andy have all been guilty of that in the past. So it's nice to hear. It was good. It's good to hear, I suppose, that that you know people do see it. And does it go around the changing room? If is is there a guy who hammers you, you know, on on Twitter, etc.? Does that do, do, do screenshots go around the changing room? And oh god, this guy's moaning again. This guy's whinging. Does he ever shut up? Does that go around? Yeah, like you, you like you do get that. Like where it can be the same one or two people, or it can be the same like three or four people that might say the same thing to you each week, uh, week in, week out on Twitter, and like. There's different, there's different people who like take the piss out of different lads, and they say all these different things. And like you say, sometimes it's everybody. Like the one thing that my dad always told me, well, the two things. One was like he said, never always believe what like you read in the newspaper because a newspaper never refuses to think. 
So he said, anyone can write anything and then that's going to be it. And then my dad also said, an opinion is like an arsehole. Everyone has one. When you when I kind of realised that, so like you never get carried away with the great positivity that people throw your way and then never get carried away with the negative people things throw your way. Because like you say, at the end of, at the end of a football career, that only comes down to your manager's decision. So if your manager plays you every week, because he's the one that's giving you your chance, he's the one that's playing you. So it's up to your manager and impress him. Like obviously you do want to have fans backing you, but you're always going to have the. Like you're not going to you're not going to impress everybody. You're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. I was never everyone's cup of tea. Like I've had I've had like a couple of fans that would like think, oh no, he's brilliant. We definitely need him, and I have other fans saying we don't need him. We need to get rid of him. So, like when everyone all has their own different opinions, if you had to like, if you if you if you want to have social media in this day and age, you have to take the good with the bad. I think because if you're on there just to try and get great prayers you're wasting your time because the minute someone starts giving you negative and if that affects your life you might as well come off it because you're never going to get everybody wanting to like it you're never got like and it's, it's just not the way that it's just not the way this world works yeah i, I do think if i was a, if, I, if i was a professional football manager i'd use social media as a motivational tool i'd get i'd wheel the whiteboard into the dressing room at five to three and i'd get say find out what people have been saying to you on twitter mark and say this is what everybody's been saying to you mark you this mark you that go and prove them wrong do you ever, all, ever had that? Yeah, but Oliver, you would be on your own because we would do a walk out to five to three. <laughs> like you say, you see some people use it as a banter thing. They'll interact with the fans, the good and the bad, so they don't take themselves serious on there. You see, we have Kev Ellison, and he takes the good with the bad on there. People will hammer him on Twitter, but he'll hammer them back. So he always says, well, if you're willing to hammer me, you have to be willing to take it back then because it's not just a one-way system, and that's the best way to treat it. You can't take it seriously. Like it, 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 it is the way it is the way everything works now. If you take it serious and take it to heart, there's no point having it because you're never gonna get the opinions or you're never gonna get the comments you're always gonna want. Like I could end up putting up something up there and somebody like it was only yes it was only today someone tweeted me for the commentary that I was doing yesterday on the Tranmere game. And someone ended up writing on a Tranmere forum saying, What was that Irish twat talking about? He's talking absolute shit, he doesn't know what he's Another fan writes under us saying, oh yeah, he's very Newport biased and stuff like that. But if I was to read that, I'd go, hang on, what am I doing wrong? How come I'm, like, I couldn't care what if a fan thinks that I'm talking shit about Newport and like being all biased towards them. I used to play for them. I didn't play for Tranmere. I couldn't care about Tranmere. We love that. That's that's the crusade this podcast is on. We love biased commentary. None of this, none of this Jamie Carragher pretending he's not a Liverpool legend. That 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 commentary the other day when he's when he's watching Villa and uh, um, the goalkeeper Adrian is like the, the cross has come over and he's followed the ball and he's like miles away and they at the bar and Jamie Carragher's like, what's going on here? Like probably the best bit of commentary this year. And I just think that that sort of commentary is needed. I think none of this, none of this hammering for for being biased. We love it. Like I hammer Tranmere or I hammer our own players. Like I, I just like to. Like, I would know more about Newport and the ins and outs of Newport than I would anywhere else. And maybe, obviously, to be, as you say, like a Sky Pundit, you have to know the ins and outs of everywhere. I think even, like, just for me doing commentary now when it's only all new to me, I know, like, 
a lot about Newport and how they play and what they want to do this season. And if people see that as being biased, like I've only just newly retired, so I don't know anything other than just to like enjoy talking about Newport. And I'm sure if Newport were to play Derby, I could sit there and probably give a bit, bit more of an even one because I turn around and say, well, you know what? I actually I used to play for Derby and like I enjoyed my time there. But Newport is the team that have stuck by me through everything I've had in the last couple of months, and they've stuck by me in the last three years and gave me the opportunity to get my career back and going. So, like, I have as much a new part as, as they think they owe me. Only got three forwards in the line-out and it'd been left to Chris Wyatt and how well he did that again. Scott Quinnell, a bust by Scott Gibbs. Scott Gibbs is through. Scott Gibbs has scored. What an amazing try. Scott Gibbs is sixth try. We'll um we'll move on to your clip now, uh, Leaky, if that's all right. The um the Scott Gibbs and Neil Jenkins um conversion. Yeah. What what made you pick that clip? Um, I remember it well. It was uh, in Play Las Americas in Tenerife, and me and my wife got dressed up to go and watch uh, the big international because we all love the rugby in Wales, don't we? And we went into this bar which was across from the hotel called the Wigan Pier. Um, and we goes in and it's me and my wife with our Welsh tops on and then starts filling up, filling up. And next thing you know, it's probably about four, maybe five Welsh people in it. And the place is rammed with mad English people wearing white tops. Reason I don't know why. But um, basically, as a gamer, it was a good game. And um, I felt very good then when Scott Gibbs went over just to deny um, you people from a Grand Slam, I think, at the time. But, I mean, the moral of the little story and what I liked about it is um, five minutes after the final whistle, um, it was just me, my wife, and these other couple of Welsh tops left in the bar, and that's all I seen was all these English people walking out with chariots shoved up their ass. And I just thought, what a great great day I'm having here and I'll always remember it we don't beat you very often but that was somewhat special I think if, um, if David Campisi scores that try I think it makes highlight reel after highlight reel the best tries ever it was a, it's an unbelievable bit of footwork isn't it the way he skins four or five players and just puts it down I don't like rugby union particularly but I can appreciate that Sorry for you to say if he did, but he didn't. So let's talk about Scott Gibbs. He did it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's that good. So if, if he'd have scored it, it'd have featured in his top 10. He scored it. No one else. It's all his ifs and buts all the time. What was it especially about that try that was that was so good into all, all the conversion? Like why was what why does it stand out to you beyond obviously the fact that it sent the English home? Like what was it what what, what is it about that clip that's any good? Well, it was, it's the day, the atmosphere. Um, three things. First of all, the top of that, I was with my wife at the time. Uh, secondly, I was pissed. <laughs> and then I was just laughing at all these English people walking out with chariots shoved up their ass. <laughs> what don't you understand about enjoyment of that game? Well, it's just shoving a bit up you English people, aren't it? Because you think you love everything. You think you're good at everything when you're not. Well, I... I would suggest England are probably pretty good at football and if you look at the rankings and stuff like that they're in the top 10 or whatever we're in I think that's quite a good achievement for a for a island the size of England I think England on that day yeah they could beat anybody but they're not a nation who's consistent I, I do agree I, I do agree I was just posing the opposite argument you have great players 
but yeah, that's why I always said if if they were such a great like I know you say top ten, but it's an inconsistent top ten. It's not a top ten where you expect them like you you think each time they go out and play they're definitely winning this game because you never know which England they're gonna turn up. I, I do think that's football, but in general, to be honest, I, I think that's one of the good things about football that in the main anybody can beat anybody, really. Yeah, like obviously in a once-off game, like I think Newport, us as, as a club, have, have shown that in a once-off game we can beat anybody. Like we we've took Man City to a nil-nil all the way to forty-five minutes. No one would have thought that when the week before they were fighting up against Chelsea at half-time in Stamford Bridge, but let alone Newport holding to a nil-nil at half-time. Like, it, 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 like that kind of thing of saying, yeah, anybody can beat anybody in a once in a once-off thing. But I think, yeah, they might be top ten, but when. I think, like I said, it's an inconsistent top 10. Like England go into a game and you always think to yourself, you want them to win and they should win, but you don't know if they will. Like it's it's a, it's never a dead on certain where like you could watch Spain go into a game or you can watch, it's like even Northern Ireland. They play Germany back in 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 Northern Ireland and they go, they go and beat the likes of Germany and Spain. But then they could play somebody else and they could play like England when England play Iceland you hear them speaking on the commentary say England look so comfortable and so in possession and they look great and they lose the game 2-1 like England on that day if they're so comfortable and so great right their players that they have that they do have at their disposal should go out and be amazing like I think it does reflect on the players they've got but also it doesn't reflect on how England are but then also, every single time like I think they're just so inconsistent but also yeah, I- nations yeah but it's all we ever hear is about England so when the other three nations do something good we've got to shout out haven't we we've got to shout out for them most definitely and I, I'll, be, I'll be I'll put my cards on the table I quite enjoy watching especially Wales I've got a friend of mine Joe Morrell who I grew up with has played in centre midfield for Wales I do watch Wales whenever they're on the telly because I like watching him I, Wales plays some nice stuff to be honest no I I I do think that's a um, and the, around the point about England. I think it's a bit naive to maybe blame the players because for generations and generations, England always fail at tournaments. So it's yeah. I don't think it can, it's clearly a culture problem, isn't it? I think. Yeah, but Oliver, Oliver, you can't blame the players by going out and partying and and doing things they shouldn't be doing, can you? You can't blame them. Of course, you can't. No. No, but I think I think you can turn around and say from a from a playing point of view. Like you look at the era when they have Scholes, Gerard, Lamp- Lampard, Beckham, all these like top players that were in that prime at the time and they still couldn't go win a tournament. But I do think it comes down to media and the pressure that they've got. That was what I was referring to, yeah. I don't think I don't think it comes down to the actual playing style. Like if they ha- like the way I always looked at it, if England had the support, you look at what the support Wales get as a country. You look at the support Ireland get for their own country, or Scotland give their own country, or other nations give their countries. It's always progression and it's always support. They get given support even if they don't go out and win. They get supported. They get cheered off the pitch. They get clapped. How many times have you seen England playing? They're getting booed off a pitch by their own fans. There is an hour associated with England, isn't there? And as an English game, we're better than what we are. Yeah, but like yeah, they're treating, yeah. but they're treating it as an English Premier League game, like they're rivals. Nobody's a rival. Like just because John Stones might play for Man City or Harry Maguire plays for Manchester United, that doesn't mean a Liverpool fan who's an English fan can't go and support Harry Maguire. 
but they have all that mentality of it's oh that's a that's a United player that's made that mistake there. See if we had more Liverpool players in here, or if we had an English or like everything is always like so sectioned off. And I think if they like if the media were to get on their side of them and say, like I know when I know when some players make the mistakes of like what's happened with the likes of Foden and people like that, and they make the mistakes. But if you have the media helping to back them and take the pressure away from them rather than adding the pressure and adding more and more. Like, you look at Harry Maguire. He's half the player he was at Leicester. He's still the same player, but his confidence is, like, so, so low because all it is, like, don't get me wrong, I was only speaking with one of the lads about it the other day, and I was only saying, like, at Leicester, he didn't have the he didn't have the pressure on him because if he had a bad game at Leicester, it doesn't get amplified because he's not a Manchester United. He's a Manchester United player. It's not his fault he's got 80 million price tag over his head. It's what a team has valued him at and it's what they paid for him. That's not his fault. So then you go to play for Manchester United, right? You might have an odd bad game or two, but he probably had the same amount of bad games at Leicester, but it doesn't get amplified or noticed as much because it's not a Manchester United who is expect excellence and the best week in, week out. So sometimes you have to see it from a player's point that the media over in the likes of England don't help the players. They don't back the players. They don't give them the confidence to say, well, do you know what? Like, we're going to be behind them. Yeah, they have the supporters, but the supporters are only chanting and singing and celebrating when England are winning. If England are losing, they're booing them off a the pitch. Now, in the, that should never happen in international football because that's your country. Everyone should support your country, no matter what. The, like, Ireland, let's be honest, like, they're, they're going through a terrible time at the moment. They haven't scored a goal in the last four games. But none of the fans, like they might be getting tired of the bad results, but they're not going to cane them. They're not going to go and them. They're not going to go on it. Like they're not going to turn around and say, we're going to boo you as every single thing. They'll still be there chanting and singing. Ireland, I remember, they played in the Euros and they were, and they were playing Spain. And I'll never forget it. It was, I think it was, I think it was, I think it was in Paris. So you forgot already? No, I think it was the Euros in Paris that had won before. And they were playing Spain. And there must have been like about 50, 60,000 in there. And Ireland are 4-0 down after 50 minutes. And all of a sudden, Irish fans, the whole stadium, start singing, come on you boys in green, and just start chanting the fields of Athenroy. And the whole stadium just starts lifting. <laughs> now, you look at any other country, like as I say, you look at England, they're Play, they, they're probably like having a go and they're building their players and they get the ball forward do that and Ireland fans are like trying to give them that extra lift or that's not celebrating that they're losing 4-0 but they're supporting their team they can see that team are trying to give their all they're getting beaten by a better side so they, they're supporting them and I think that's where England sometimes falls short where yeah they have the support there when they're winning but where's the support when things aren't going their way or when things aren't going to the way? So do you look when they say Harry Kane could, like, should have squared that and if he had a squared it, we would have made it to this, we would have done this. So instead of caning him for it, or like instead of like supporting him to go, right, well, it's a bad mistake. He wanted to get his name on the score sheet. No, it's selfish. It's this, it's that. We would have made, we would have won a World Cup or we would have won this if he had done this. And it's always negative. Yeah, I think what Mark is saying really is, out of the four nations, England, you put it all your players and your clubs and your teams, everything else on a pedestal. You can't wait to knock them off it. But the other three nations, they they embrace it. They think, well, okay, yeah, we're losing great, but let's yeah. let's give them a, a little bit and see what we can do. But with England, knock them off all the time. That that's a very good point, Leaky, because it's a it's a contradiction, isn't it? That that 
we want to, as I say, I'm speaking as an, Eng- an English person, we do want to put our team on the pedestal and then we're very, very quick to wipe the pedestal out from under them. It's very contradictory. But, you, but then you look, if, if you look at when these players go back to, that, to their home clubs and you see them play and they play with confidence because at their club they're probably loved and they're probably patted on the back. And then you're thinking, how come he doesn't play like that for England? Because the pressure from England to their club level is... I can't make a mistake for England. Like they can probably make a mistake for the club and they still get patted on the back and they still get encouraged. But they make a mistake for England and straight away they're in the front or the back page of a newspaper. Look at the mistakes he's made or like as, as people say with the likes of Grealish and all these different players, they're quality players, they're great players. But when they're not given the confidence that they deserve or the, the confidence to go from league or to go yeah to go from club games into obviously international games it's 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 like as you say it's chalk and cheese like if you get the same support going and you should get more support going to play for your country because it's a, it's a great honor that yeah that they are proud of playing for the country but encourage them to want to like have that passion and encourage it rather than all, all of a sudden stripping them of their confidence where they're half the player they are when they go back to that club level like then that's what makes players want to go back to club level so quick because they're getting so like they're getting that many pelters from international football they think i can't wait to get back to my club because i actually feel like i'm like there i'm actually loved it and and that's that's me from like a player's point but like just from looking at it that you can only just see it as there's that much pressure of i can't make a mistake and when a player has that and it's in his mindset of thinking i can't make a mistake they're not going to play half as good as they are if you let them freely play do you think it's quite underestimated how the effect that fans have which particularly when they're in the stadiums, obviously they're not at the moment. Do you think that's underestimated the effect that fans can have on their own players in a negative way? Yeah, it, it, it does be massively underestimated. Me and Leaky were only just saying, like our new style of play, Newport are doing at the moment, where they're trying to play the right way and we are playing out from the back. It's something that we've never done for the last three and a half years. Now, maybe if we had done that at the start of the season when the fans were in and they didn't know we were going to play like that and then one or two mistakes might have happened you hear the moans and groans and it discourages you from playing out from the back then because you're hearing the moans and you're thinking oh my god here we go I don't need this I don't need our fans getting on our back now we're hearing the bills and the mumbles whereas without the fans yeah we always do need them at some stage but without the fans it's given ourselves confidence to do that because even if you do make that mistake you hear the encouragement from the side of the manager saying no keep doing the same things keep doing the right things and then as sooner rather than later it all comes together now and now the fans online are like loving the fact of looking Newport playing this amazing new football but I'm sure if that had happened when they started off in the stadium they would have got a lot more ground and it probably wouldn't have carried on as much as it has to what it is now and and like you say Fans do make a massive difference either in a positive or negative way because I've said I've played in many games where you hear the fans chanting and you think it's amazing and you, you want to like give it your all. And then other times I've been in stadiums like at Luton, you hear your fans calling you all sorts of names and they're your fans, let alone the away fans, and you're thinking, Oh, I can't be dealing with this right now. I don't want I don't I don't want to be here then you like you go into your shell. And it does make a massive difference to players. And I know people say, block it out and you're a professional, you have to deal with it. I wouldn't sit there next to someone in their office for 90 minutes, slating them constantly when they're trying to do their work, which is exactly what happens to us. We're just as normal as anyone else. So it's not that we should actually have to take it on the, on the chin. Sometimes, yeah, I know it's a passion thing, 
but at the same time, it's it's we're still people. Thought with the with the old firm yesterday with the the. Rangers sort of they were they were almost freed by the fact there were no there were no fans on their back and Celtic were they were pedestrian I don't know if you saw the game but they were they were so bad at the, the, the sort of the, the tempo of the play they were they were passing it I think the three players who got the most touches for Celtic yesterday were the centre halves because they were just they, they they didn't know they didn't have sort of fifty five sixty thousand fans on their back sort of getting them to get it forward and they, they, they sort of it, it almost looked like they allowed themselves to to sort of fold really because there was no shots on target from Celtic all the way through the game like they, they were awful and I think if they had a, if they had a stadium filled with 60,000 Scottish and Irish people you know not allowing them to make to have that performance you probably would have seen a very different result yesterday yeah but then that's what always happens in an old frame game or it happens in any you you look at the Merseyside derby and stuff like that maybe Liverpool would have like shrunk in behind things if they had like like 20 30,000 everything fans having a real go at everyone and it's always the same in an old firm if celtic like if if rangers score but then like you say if a, if a rangers fella like you see morellas when he slapped scott brown on the back of the head if you have 60,000 celtic fans roaring to get him sent off maybe he gets sent off and the game changes like so there, there are like all these different things that like fans do bring to a game but when you know you have the backing of your home support, you know you can be a bit more relaxed and you know you're going to get the backing and they're going to get them chanting. And it's it's different when if you know you're going to come in a stadium and you're under pressure by your, like your home fans, let alone the away fans, it adds more pressure and it does. So then that's why, like you say, with England, they know that they do have that added pressure because if they do make a mistake, like, oh, here we go, I'm in the newspaper now. And people might say they ignore it, but at the stage, every, like, you do notice it. Everybody notices it. You might try and turn a blind eye to it, but you will always find out what's been said about you and it will affect you whether you're the hardest, most, whether you're the hardest person in the world. As I said before, when I was at Luton, things weren't working out for me for whatever reason that was. They just weren't working out. And I'd played one or two games and in one or two of the games, things weren't going well. I remember we were 3-1 up against Carlisle. Everything was going great. It was like me second or third start for the team. And I thought, everything's going brilliant here. I can't fault this. And then Carlisle came back and beat us 4-3 in the same game. And then all of a sudden after the game, I have Twitter blown up and this fella doesn't know how to play football and like I remember I found home my dad was like what are you going mad for and I was like I said I'm getting abused on Twitter left right and centre here and he was like delete it and then that's when he came up with the whole thing saying that like opinion is like an arsehole everyone has one and all that but he said if you're willing to have social media he said you have to take the good with the bad he said if you're on there for people to want to pat you on the back he said you're going to have to be there for someone to give you all the shit that they can give you because he said everyone gets brave when they want to write and text stuff so like I remember at Luton I was thinking right, I just want to get given an opportunity I want to go out and prove what I can do I want to be able to do that but also if you're the likes of Harry Maguire who has an £80 million price tag over his head that isn't his like isn't his fault it's not it's not his fault that the market this day and age that you get 80,000 80, or 80 million put on top of your head like because as you say you have other people that get 120 million you see Messi he was almost getting bought for two three hundred million and that's not down to his fault that's not down to pressure being put on his shoulders but at the same time if you're signing for Manchester United you're at this expectation level where you need to win trophies yeah like you're coming up against like Cavani comes in and he's he has the number seven short 
right, he's going to be compared to George Best, he's going to be compared to Cristiano Ronaldo, he's going to be compared to all of that because he's wearing the number seven, David Beckham. You have Maguire coming in, there's Rio Ferdinand, there's Vivis, there's Bruce, there's Palace, there's Yap Stam. And there's all them different centre backs of Manchester United. So you're going to, for like long term Manchester United fans, you're going to get compared to players like that. Where in this day and age, centre backs like that nowadays hardly exist. You don't get the out and out centre backs that want to defend. And that's what Harry Maguire is. So I think what he's trying to do, he probably needs more of a. He, he probably needs a more of a like backing to say, no, we will get back to his best. And do you know what? He will make mistakes. And But you can see it's getting dragged into like his international football and everything now where you don't know, maybe it is time for maybe United to turn around and say, right, step back with the captaincy. Maybe st- take a step back with a few different things. Go back to your basics of what you enjoyed doing at Leicester. Get your confidence back and then go on and do whatever you need to do. But I think he's right in doing what he's doing. He's, he's playing each week and like you say, he's not shying away from it because I don't think there's anything you can shy away from in this day and age because one way or another, whether it goes into social media or whether it goes into a newspaper, somebody's always going to say something. There's no hiding away from anything. But he's doing the right thing by standing up to everything and Man United are doing right by him sticking by him. But also playing for Manchester United it's a different ball game altogether like you're not at the Leicester anymore where you can get given five, six games to get your form back United you're playing at Manchester United where it's expected overnight you have to get it backward in a week you have to get it backward in three, four days and he's just finding it difficult and there's been times when I've played and I've found it difficult and you keep thinking right things that usually like at Derby I remember when I first broke in and got me first run in the team I was only 18 and everything was just going in my favour and everything was going great and then coming near to the back end of that near Christmas time I made a couple of mistakes and like the difference of then to now is that Derby fans were actually backing me. Derby fans like were sticking by me saying it's inexperience, you learn from it. I had a manager like Nigel Clough, as I said, who stuck by me and it gave me the confidence to build it all back again. Whereas if you have a manager that drops you from the team and if you have a manager that doesn't want to know you anymore or if you have fans that don't want to know you anymore it adds to the it adds to the pressure of thinking oh my god like i go further into my shell than actually thinking well do you know what if my manager's backing me i don't care what anyone else says that's all that matters and i think the fact that Solskjaer is actually backing mcguire and he's playing him every week shows that like he, he will end up getting the back at some stage because it does happen you don't become a bad player overnight with um with with that there's two things really there's Online, if you're getting hammering from people online, I think the the thing that you know you're living their dream. Like they, they can say all they want on 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 social media. They can they can give you all the hammering they want, but ultimately, they're you know Harry Maguire is a professional footballer. You are the professional footballer. Those kids grew up growing to be a professional footballer, and they weren't good enough to be that. And I think you know if you just held held on to that fact, thing actually, do you know what? You can say all you want, but I'm the one turning out for Newport County every week, and you're not. I'm the one turning out for Manchester United every week, and you're not. Then you know, <laughs> deal with it. Like. Yeah, but- Sometimes you can't forget like where you've come from because I remember like when when you're 13, 14 years old and like even growing up and you're watching all these professional footballers play, like if even if somebody does have jealousy towards you or someone does want to begrudge you for being a professional footballer, you're still in a position where you have to you're still in a position where you have to switch into that professional side, but also never forget that 
it can change just like that. You could get an injury and it drops you out of the game. So you can turn around and think, oh, well, this person's only jealous of me and this person wants to be in my position. They might want to be in my position, but that doesn't mean I, I can turn around and think I'm better than that person. Because at the same time, I started off as absolutely nothing and worked hard to get where I was. And that's what every footballer does. And some people try and discredit them for that. But then also you should just look at it yourself and say, right, well, if they might think that I'm not good enough, I know I worked hard to get here. And that's all that should matter. If you're confident in yourself and you worry about yourself and think, you know what, I know I give the hard work and I know I do what I need to do. That's all that matters. So whatever anyone else has to say to you shouldn't really matter because you know inside yourself that you're giving your all. Do you like the the role model tag? Is that something you think footballers should be sort of held up as as as, as either role models for like Harry Maguire would obviously be Man United the, the profile that they've got. He, he he'd be labelled as your role model. You shouldn't be getting into that trouble in Mykonos. Obviously yourself with, with Newport. Do you do you, do you like that kind of footballers should be a role model, or do you, or do you, do you disagree with it and think footballers should just be treated as as human beings and equally? to make mistakes and go through peaks and troughs in their career and have mental health issues that no one else sees etc like what what do you think about that i think a bit of both i think like when you talk about a footballer being a role model i think yeah they are role models because like there are a lot of kids that grow up loving football there's, there's everybody who loves football that there's everybody that grows up and wants to be a footballer where you look at it and you always say, right, if I do right, or like I said, me looking at the likes of Conor McGregor, right, and I know he's not a footballer, but I see how well he does in his training and I see how much dedication he puts in that I thought to myself, well, you know what, if I put that dedication in, I could end up like doing well in my career and I know it's something totally different. But then you always have to take it on your shoulders to think, right, if I do really well or if someone sees how hard I work or if something, like that's the kind of basis of role models. But I also think footballers should be treated as normal people as well because they are allowed to go out and have a drink and socialise they are allowed to make a mistake because it's not like nobody in the whole life has ever not made a mistake so just because you're a footballer doesn't make you a robot doesn't make you right we know we have a responsibility to we have a responsibility to encourage people and we have a responsibility to promote things and we have a responsibility to be a certain way but in that certain way, everybody who has a job has to work in a different way to for that company name or if they're a businessman, they have to be careful about how they promote themselves or how they look and how they dress and you have to look professional and be professional. But I'm sure them people along the way have all made mistakes. So just because it's a footballer doesn't mean you shouldn't be allowed to make a mistake. It's just obviously you have to learn from it a lot quicker i think being a footballer because like you say you're you're in you're in the spotlight and you're in you're in the limelight of all of these different things that i think it's not shown enough i think when people are want like when people are young wanting to be footballers they, they don't understand it they just see it as i want to play in a stadium in front of eighty thousand people and that's it they don't understand the sacrifice of not like not really having a christmas anymore they don't see that you don't celebrate birthdays anymore you don't get to go home see your families as much if you're living away from home like this is me speaking from irish terms like you have all of these different little sacrifices as well as that you're in the limelight you have people are going to be looking up to you you're going to have newspapers wanting to talk about you you're going to have all of these different pressures whereas i don't think it's 
spoken about enough to people wanting to be a footballer. They just think if I if I train hard, I'm going to be a footballer. And what stops more people is never that talent. It's more about what comes along with it. The sacrifices, the diets, the training, the everything else that comes with it is probably the more harder part than it is actually going out to play a 90-minute match. Is there anything you wish the average fan... Is there like one thing you wish the average fan knew about what it took to become a footballer and, and, and how, how a footballer feels representing, so say Newport County, say Bristol Rovers, obviously you represent the local community and, and you're obviously extremely proud to do so. Is there one thing that, you know, when the fans are hammering you, when the fans are, you know, chatting shit on social media, is there one thing you just wish that, that the fans did understand and say, you know, think twice before you send that tweet or think twice before you write this letter, etc. because I've done this, this, this and this to get to the position that I'm in and I'm proud to represent you. Is there one thing that you wish like a fan would, would know about, about how you got to the position you're in? For me to have a 10-year career, at 16 I had open-heart surgery, and then at 18 I had an ACL injury, I had a double hernia at Luton, and when and then after all of that, I still ended up saying, like if someone turns around to me and says, oh well, do you know what, you're not happy to be here, or you're not happy to play football, then there is times where you want to turn around and go, hang on. Do you think I'd actually like send myself through all of these different things to make a career for myself if I didn't love what I've done? Yeah. And sometimes I always say, sometimes you don't have to justify yourself to a fan. Sometimes like you just have to turn around and say, no, I am happy because when when you can turn around to fans, when you're when when someone hears you're a footballer, they all put you in the bracket of you're on two hundred thousand pound a week. Everybody puts it in that bracket. Like I'm at Newport and they already think, oh, you're a footballer, you must be getting a good wage. And I'm like, hang on a second, you're probably earning more than me. But just because I'm a footballer, I'm supposed to be earning more. In all fairness, like, when people speak about, like, um, when people talk about saying, like, you're a footballer and stuff, it's like, you don't want anybody to know because straight away, everyone has this stigma of a footballer being... Yeah. Every, every, everybody thinks that like footballers are arrogant footballers are going to be really really arrogant people and they're on too much money they don't care about the club they pay they play for they don't care about this they they do whatever they want and then that's just a kit man oh no listen uh, hey as a kit man i think players are spoiled i think they kids these days they want everything on a plate for them do everything for them Listen, I stopped at the line of wiping their asses, but <laughs> I probably a few kit men out there probably do that, you know? No, they they're spoiled in my opinion. Yeah. But obviously, so like society-wise, they're they're sort of everyone as you as you say, you hear the word I'm a professional footballer, you do jump to that two hundred grand a week, don't you? And that kind of you are viewed as that and you're also put on a pedestal that you don't have to be put on around and say that's why sometimes you want to turn around and say to the fans like hang on a second like i'm not this fella just because i'm a footballer doesn't mean that like all right i'm on two hundred thousand a week i live in a mansion i've got a sports card and that's me i'm happy as can be like when they turn around and try and say stuff about your career then you want to kind of put them in check you can turn around and like easily say to them like hang on a second like I am just one of these normal people that like I have to play for my wage just like you have to work for your wage. I said like I've got like people can like the people have normal cars, like they're not living in massive mansions. Like and the only different privilege that they've got is that, that we're doing the job we love. Some people probably aren't doing the job that they enjoy or they love. And that's the only difference with sometimes when as a footballer, like when they when they hear you're a footballer, like you say, they, they turn around straight away. And you see this the smile come on their face or you see people straight away in their head thinking, hang on a second, you must be on about 300,000 a week. 
And I was like, no, I'm living in a two bedroom apartment in Newport. Two nineties on. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, they don't see the bit that you spent, you know, living living for two years in a ten pound a week or ten pound a night Southport B and B, do they? They just jump straight to that. When I went on loan at Southport, as I said, like when I stayed in that B and B, it was like a tenner a night. And don't get me wrong, the people who owned, like the people who owned, it were lovely people. But I'm living in the loft in a in a room that I can't stand up straight in with a single bed and a and a telly that's as small as a screen like that. And that had me in there for a month. But because I was playing football, I was happy. Yeah. So I didn't care about what any said. But like like you say, sometimes to give them the reality check of thinking, like when when they say, oh well, you don't get a Christmas off. Yeah, but look at the money you're on. But I'm thinking, right, we're in League Two. You're probably earning the same as me, but you get to enjoy your Christmas and I don't. So they're, they're the kind of things where you go, right, if, does, if, the, if, if your family have a birthday or a christening or they have like parties or whatever coming up, right, I have Carlisle away. I can't be at that family party. All right, then, well, they're not going to hold out on a family party just for me, so I can't do it. It's the same with Ireland. Like, even when I was in Ireland, like, when I was 17, I was like obviously lucky enough to be part of a force team at such a young age. But from 17 till this stage now, I've never been at home in Dublin for Christmas. And no one's ever seen that. But that's only because you're involved with a force team, you play around Christmas time. And then when people, like, like, like I said, it's all those big different things that people don't quite understand. And then they say, yeah, but why should you be so unhappy? You're a footballer, you're earning loads of money. And I'm like, well, I'm not earning loads of money. I'm just sacrificing what I need to sacrifice for my job. Yeah. There's only one Christmas at Derby. We were only 18 and me and the other Irish lad. And we had West Ham away on... Was it Christmas? Day? No, we had West Ham away on... It wouldn't be Christmas. Day, no, it was no. Boxing Day. We had West Ham away on Boxing Day. But then we had the train on Christmas Day. We had to, Christmas afternoon, we were in training. Then we had to get a bus from Derby to London that night to play West Ham on Boxing Day. And then we had to stay in, like, so we obviously stayed in a hotel on Christmas Day. We're all wearing our Christmas jumpers going down on the bus because, like you say, it's like a big family in the club. But nobody sees the families. Nobody's with their kids on, like, all the, all the more experienced lads. No one's with their kids on Christmas Day, opening up presents and doing what they need to do. And then New Year's Eve comes along and New Year's Day, you've got a game. We were playing, I'm trying to think who we were playing on New Year's Day away. But it was another London team, so we stayed in London. So we had another hotel to stay in. And then we're staying in on New Year's Eve. So then as you're going to bed at night in a hotel and it's getting to 12 o'clock, your phone is vibrating all over the place and... You're thinking, what, what is, and then someone's phone, you happy new year, how's everything going, what are you up to? And I'm like, well, I'm in a hotel, I'm, I've got a game tomorrow, so I'll speak to you tomorrow. And you have to put your phone on, and everyone else is out celebrating and having drinks and doing what they want to do. And I'm only 18 at the time. So, like, when everyone thinks, like, you should be out partying and enjoying yourself, my enjoyment was sacrificing stuff for football. That was my enjoyment, because I knew in the bigger picture it would, would be great. And obviously it didn't quite work out how I wanted it to work out. But then you still make those same sacrifices when you're at Newport. Even if I was playing for Southport, I'd still make those sacrifices because it's the job I love doing. But then when fans have a go just saying, oh, look at you, you're not happy being here. And I'm thinking, well, I'm making sacrifices for this club. Would you rather see me out on Christmas Day and having all the drinks? And would you rather see me out New Year's Eve having all these drinks and throwing up piss to a game on a Sunday? Or would you rather me see me do it properly? Yeah. Because... You made those sacrifices 10 years ago. You know, you were making those sacrifices at 18 to be there at Newport to help them through the, the you know, the Great Escape season or to get them to the playoff final at Wembley. You know, that's, that's the, the sacrifice you were making sort of 10 years ago to get there. 
complain, but that's every footballer does that. But the, the fact that the minute you might turn around and say you're unhappy. But also, look, you've got to understand minus the same for Kitman. I was going to ask that. Genuinely, my next question is a bit leaky. You know, sh- surely you're making the same the same sacrifices. Surely you're doing exactly the same thing. All the same because I'm allowed to drink. They're not. Yeah. But you're doing that. You're doing the travelling. You're doing the. You're missing the Christmases and you're missing all that for for, for that. Of course, yeah. But that's that's because I I enjoy what I'm doing. I wouldn't say I I'd love it because at the moment um, I was talking to Obi early on about it. Is that I'm not I'm not enjoying football at the moment because of all this COVID shit that goes on. You know. Are you missing the fans? Are you missing the the sort of traditional match day? Are you? Um, yeah, fans, atmosphere, banter, there's lots of things that go with it. You know, especially at Newport, if I'm, if I'm walking down a touchdown, you get a lot of fans who know me and they're saying things to me and everything. So I like all that part of it. No, that's all I get is nothing, nothing at all. So it is, it's, it's a strange time. It's worked to Chrissy Barrett, to Conor O'Shea. Mayo get one last throw of the dice. Conor O'Shea driving down the field. The hill want Morris Deegan to blow it up. We're in the eighth minute of injury time. Parsons shot blocked. The ball is smothered. It's all over. It's just not meant to be. It's just not meant to be for Mayo. They fought the good fight. They're carried out on their shields. But for Mayo, it's a story of second best one more time. We move on to our final clip then. Should we move on to the, the County Mayo versus Dublin um, commentary? I don't know if any of you any of you listened to it. Um, the reason I chose it was because of the Mayo curse. Are you anyone aware of the of the Mayo curse? I take it you must be, Mark. But is anyone else aware of it? Was it the, the, the mayor of the curse? The Mayo curse. Oh, oh, right. It's your accent. Like they don't win in Ireland, stand you? Yeah. So they, um, we were talking earlier on about Ireland. You know, the fans sort of give them give them a break for not for not being, um, you know, not not going to, going to tournaments as favourites, not being you know successful. I mean, England haven't been successful since '66 either. But do you know what I mean, not not being successful in terms of the the, the qualifications, almost. You know, they, they give themselves a break. But um, but Mayo have got themselves quite a big. Um, quite a big get out of jail free clause really because they um in 1951 just for the benefit of, of the listeners and for everyone else in 1951 they may have won the the all-ireland championships in, in the football for uh for, for the fourth year in a row and um they were coming back on a on an open bed truck on the way home with their trophy to celebrate and they went through a small town called foxford on the way back to mayo with the trophy and apparently they stopped off to uh, to get refreshments and, you know, they, they were a few beers up, etc. And they stopped off to get refreshments and there was a funeral cortege and a funeral going on in the town of Foxford. But obviously, these guys are, are amateur sports people who have uh, who've just lived through World War Two um, and they won four titles in a row. So it's pretty safe to say they're on the beers and um, they, they go through this funeral um, at the town and they're they're not very respectful for the funeral cortege. You know, they're, they're giving the vicar a bit of banter. They're, um, they're, they're pretty loud. They're pretty, they're pretty happy. And the vicar apparently put a curse on the, on the team saying that no, Mario will never win another all Ireland final until every single member of that team has died. Um, which is just insane as a curse. And they haven't, they've got to eight finals since 89 and they've lost every single one. They've lost a Dublin two years in a row in the last minute. 
most of the finals have been against Dublin. Yeah, well, they said they lost in was it um, 2016? I was there for that, and they lost in 2017. I wasn't there for that, and um, yeah, this this audio clips from from 2016. But um, my, the reason I picked that was because a that curse is is mental, and there are still two of that team still alive. So um, you kind of you either want them to break the curse, you know, just to break the curse, or they're going to die. So <laughs> break the course, or you have to wait. <laughs> so it's kind of way up in it. Do you want to win it, or do you want the, the legendary team to die? Um, and die. <laughs> and die. But I was also thinking like superstition. Like we kind of touched on this earlier a little bit, but in terms of superstition and you know, Tottenham have, have, have long been been sort of held as the as or by Leverkusen as well as by a Leverkusen. You know, that the, the fans have that kind of culture of of almost losing um and expecting a loss. Um does that sort of if, if you were playing in that team, would that sort of if you were ha- heading into that game, would you be thinking, Christ, we're one nil down already because we've got God against us almost? Or, or or would you would you ignore it? Would you would you would you how would you deal with that? And, and have you been in that situation before where teams have just or a bogey team almost obviously Obviously, Rovers have got bogey teams. Newport have got bogey teams. How do you how, how do you deal with that? Do you, are you aware of it almost? Yeah, I think like I don't think like a superstition like was that whatever like when they throw me off or whatever like when they get in my way. I don't think. But like I, I've come across loads of lads that have to be so superstitious in a way where if they don't tie their boots in a certain way or they don't put things on in a right order or they don't have the right amounts of field the day before or on the day of a game. Like, I've come across lads that that will just, like, mess with their heads and all of a sudden they think they're going to go out and have the worst game of their life. Who's got the most mental superstition that you've seen? Who's the one they think, Christ, what are you doing? Oh, Mickey Mickey Demetrio, the fella I lived with. He, like, I think we counted them up one year and I think he had about 10 superstitions building up to a game. Like, like, the night before the game, like, has to have the same field, which is all well and good. Most people do always have, like, the same meals the day before a game. But like normally, like you could get like green pesto. You can get any sort of green pesto, but it has to be this particular one that he always gets. So we went into Morrison's to buy it, and we went into Morrison's, and I was like, "Oh, here's some green pesto," and he was like, "No, that's not the one." So then we had to go around a couple of more shops to actually find the one green pesto we were looking for because that's what the one he has a day before every game. And if he doesn't have it, he doesn't eat chocolate a day before a game. Um, he doesn't have a cup of tea a day before a game. I don't, don't ask me why he, he said he's just never done it <laughs> on a match day um, he has to get up at a specific time he has to watch friends every morning he has to have his friends toast egg and beans all in the same order but they all have to like be at a, like, a certain time and he has them all then all of his kit has to be folded in a certain way like so when he used to sit next to me I used to like fling all his stuff around because I didn't give a shit about us I never gave about with superstitions so like he'd walk it, he'd go into the physio room and he'd have to get like his back checked and all like that and I'm like throwing like his socks onto the floor and everything like he's, he he just had these mads and then like when we go out into a pitch he has to jog, jog across the six yard box or the 18 yard box six times there and back like doing like his own little thing then we, when he goes into warm-up, he has to stand on the left-hand side of the warm-up. Then he has to be on the front of that. So when he used to come out for games, he used to always have to be last man. He used to always have to be the last man to walk out, like if whatever people ever have. But then, what was it, two seasons ago or three seasons ago, the manager made him captain? <laughs> Obviously, he played Notts County away and he was captain. And that was messing with his head a lot. <laughs> so he walked out first as captain. And then said, oh, 
I forgot my water bottle. I forgot his GPS vest, so we had to go back in to come back out last. And he was captain. I remember what game it was like some game last year, the year before. We were meant to be getting eggs in a hotel. It was the Wembley game. The Wembley game, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were meant to be getting eggs. Like we were all getting like scrambled egg or boiled eggs or poached eggs brought out for us. So we were all having our meals and stuff. And Mickey was sitting there sweating. They were like, I normally eat about 10 minutes ago. And he's checking his watch and your man wasn't bringing a scrambled egg out one time or his poached eggs out. And he was like, oh, that's not going to give me enough time to do what I need to do. Like I normally have my eggs and all by this time. And, like, and it is, his head was starting to like go into all this mad fuzz. And I was like, relax, just have something different. No, no, he's bringing it. He's, he's, I'm waiting for the eggs to come out. He's waiting for the eggs to come out. And I was just like, right, fair enough. I said, if that's, if that's the way you are, but you have to try and sit and relax him about things. So you're just thinking, relax, it's not the end of the world just because your eggs haven't come out 10 minutes earlier. Like. But that's what I mean. Stuff like that is crazy. Obviously, you, you represented Ireland at, um, uh, at unders, is it under 21s and under 17s? You, you represented Ireland. Obviously, that's it's all about living the dream. That's that's a dream that I would I would love to have you know worn the green jersey as a you know as as a footballer would have been the greatest. I can't imagine how good that would have felt. What what were your emotions? We you know how how did the call up happen? What what did you feel? Like from the age of fifteen, you get called into like a young Irish age, and like I was loving every minute of it. And from fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and stuff like that, I was I was the captain of my own country, and I was like thinking this is amazing. I ended up getting. Ireland on the 16 player of the year like in, in, in the under 16s of it so like like I said everything like was just amazing and the one thing like not many people know this but like in my family like I was obviously like my cousin you like is the assistant manager of Hull now but like he used to play for Scunthorpe but he but like he's like older than me and then I have a brother who's two years older than me he played football as well but then my cousin he played when he played for Ireland on the 16s he won Ireland on the 16s player of the year so then my brother ended up playing for Ireland on the 16s he won Ireland on the 16s player of the year and when I played Ireland on the 16s I, I won Ireland on the 16s player of the year and me Brother, the only two brothers in Irish football to win two uh, awards. Who were you? Um, who did you play against? Israel, France. We played Belgium, the Netherlands. Played against Turkey, Italy. Um, playing against like loads. Of, I remember when I was on the 16s, we played against uh, Germany. We played against Mario Goethe. Who, oh no way! But I always laugh about it because I said, Do you know what's crazy with that? I said, like six years later, I said I'm in an Irish pub watching the World Cup final, and he's the one scoring the winner. And I said, like. I said that's how different careers turn out. But me and him on the 16s are playing against each other. It's it is it's crazy. Like, but you get you get the more important last minute winner. Yeah, I wonder if he was watching that game. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. That's blown my mind. Like, there's stories of like um, your man from the only way is Essex. Can't remember his name, but he was on the same pitch as Messi because he was in the Spurs academy. And obviously, Messi's gone on to be you know in my opinion the greatest footballer of all time and he's on the only way as Essex but he, has, he is married to Michelle Keegan so you know he's probably the winner in some respects but um even in the Derby younger ages at under 18 we played against Man United and we have Paul Pogba and um, Jesse Lingard Ravel Morrison um Mickey Jose Josh King John Kofi like they have all these players all in the one squad playing against us and we remember going to the game here in Nepal Pogba and we were like oh they bought this young French lad for so many millions and all that and we were like alright and then like the first 20 odd minutes you're thinking yeah he's alright he's not too bad and then they like swung this corner into the edge of the box and he does this bicycle kick that hits the crossbar and you're like oh that's him I suppose <laughs> 
that's what I mean. Like, but you're in the same age bracket as these people, and like when you're playing against them, you're not seeing them as this massive player, but you see what they've gone on and done, and you think, oh, Jesus, the good stories to go back on. Right? And who are you? Who would you say is the best player you've been on the same pitch as? Who would you say the best player you've played against? It'll have to be one of the Man City players, like David Silva. I, I think he's the best player to play in the Premier League. For me, I think he's, he's, he's that sort of player. He's genius, isn't he? I don't know what it is about him. Like, he just couldn't get anywhere near them. Like, you'd, as a midfielder, he'd drop onto the back forward and you step out to mark him and then he'd walk away somewhere else. His first touch, like, they had Mares, Sane, Jesus and all on the same pitch. Fernandinho, John Stones played. Like, just that, that team in itself, we were looking at and thinking, like, even Gundogan came on and he's a German international who's gone on to win a World Cup. Like, and it's it's all madness like that. Like, so that, like, it, that's kind of been a player where, like, I looked at and thought, because I even remember, like, as captains, like, you're stepping out and you're waiting on their captain to walk out. So, me and obviously the assistant hats were, like, um, standing there waiting to see who's going to come out for them. We wonder, like, who's going to be their captain. And we thought like that they are not gonna bring a strong enough team. And then David Silva walked out and you're shaking his hand and I'm standing there thinking this fella's won a World Cup, a European what am I doing standing here in the same dressing room with this fella? Like, it's just all like so surreal. But then like you say, something switches in your head and you have to go out and play against these lads and you try and get the best results you can. Then what I will say, Luke, on that part is um the kit was a lot better than Man City. <laughs> way I presented it uh, and the way I shaped them all the players to front to go out there to make sure they look buff and everything you know yeah, yeah. so it's not all about these players mate I know it's, you know, it wasn't for us kit men listen they wouldn't even be playing who laid out the kit for the first 45 minutes you did and what was the score nil nil who did it for the second and they gone to they gone to lose he's the kit exactly it's not all about the players it's about me today <laughs> <laughs> so who's the who's the best player you've ever seen, Leaky, in terms of either either following Newport County or, or just generally as a fan of the stadium? What, who, who's the who's had that standout ninety minutes for you? Um, I, I would honestly say my son, Chris Leak. He's the best player I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. He played for Newport, and then he just played for uh, Welsh League sides. But in my eyes, he's the best player I've ever seen. Maybe because I he's coached him playing, as well. Yeah. He's still playing now, yeah. No, I didn't know you had a son, to be honest. I did, actually, because I knew your grandfather. But, um, well, you, you came off Twitter in 2018, so I was trying to look for your Twitter feed, and you were quite funny on Twitter. Well, I'm not on Twitter. Liar, you are. You are? You've got an account? Yeah, I've got an account, but I never go on there. No, I know. You, you stopped in 2018. That's research. Bank account, I never go into it. Aaron does that. This is nice, the worst player I've ever seen play was Andy Monks. Andy, yeah, well, naturally. Wow, embarrassing. <laughs> Came across a bridge over here, embarrassing. He's never seen me play. Embarrassing. Luke, Luke seen me play. Luke seen me run the game at the man. And um, Oliver, do you want a drink? Yeah, Luke. Luke did score. It was a good finish, to be fair. You haven't had a drink for a while, Oliver. You okay? Your hair looks good. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you're doing is this all the time. <laughs> yeah, just. Just counting the hairs that I'm losing, I think. Yeah? And you haven't had a drink for a while either. No, no. Well, I didn't want to interrupt you while you were in full flow, Leaky, to be fair. You don't need to just a drink. You just pick the bottle up and drink, don't you? <laughs> well, no, because there's, there's none left now. You're waiting for the table <laughs> service. <laughs> whoa, 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 go back a bit. What's that mug? File, isn't it? <laughs> no, not that mug. The, the mug is old, in it? <laughs> okay. 
can I can I just do a um, a little presentation then before we go off? Yeah, yeah. I've got a pair of um, Matty Dolan boots signed for you. Oh, amazing! Right, so you can actually maybe. You've got to be some player about boots somebody. like that. <laughs> he is a good player. <laughs> he is a good player. Yeah. yeah. And 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 what what my friend Mr. O'Brien have done as well. He's actually um, donated one of his shirts for you, and he has signed the back of it for you. Yeah, I've worn it. Oh, yeah, thank you very much for both of us. That's, that's really kind. Well, I think we'll, we'll, you know, thank you genuinely. We'll, um, we'll, we'll put that on Twitter and, and add that to the, to the Facebook page later, etc. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's amazing. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, to help you along as all as, as your <laughs> We need all the help we can get. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I get that. And if you want me on next time, I'll bring my missus. Oh, it'd be better than Monksy. <laughs> Monksy, oh yeah, he won you, is he? Yeah, well, he's, to be fair, he had his microphone on mute for the whole time that we were doing it, so <laughs> I'm not sure he's going to be in it. Now we we usually finish with a with a game. Now it's usually Andy versus Ollie, but obviously there there are two other two other participants in this game. Um, this week's game is called "I Want to Finish Second, um, which. You know, you can you can view that however you want. So, each player writes down a number between one and twenty. Any duplicate numbers are disqualified, and the winner is the player with the second highest valid number. You're then awarded the points corresponding to that number. Does that make sense? Obviously, you're going to win, Luke, because you're the only one who knows the rules. I'm not playing. No, you're not playing. No, no I don't last. play these games. I'm in it. Oliver, you ain't going to win. You look dull. <laughs> He's too yeah, you should, I'm too late. I beat Monksy in our first two episodes. Thank you very much. <laughs> right, cool. Right, is everyone ready? Ollie, what's your answer, Ollie? Ollie's gone 17. Mark? Four. Yeah, sorry. Number four. Eight. Eight. Nine. Monksy's gone nine. Okay, so we've got... Second highest is Andy with, one, with nine points. Andy wins that one. Alright, go again. What's what's the next? Pick, pick another number between one and twenty. Alright, everyone gone. Ollie's gone with nine. Nine. Two. Mark. Twelve. Leaky. Two. You've gone two. Yeah. Oh. That's Andy and Leaky disqualified. Mark went with twelve, so Ollie wins with nine again. Yes. Well done, all. Alright. What do you win? That's just that we've got we got three more rounds to go now. So if you go again, Ollie, ten, ten, Mark, nine, nine, Leaky, thirteen, thirteen, Monksy, nineteen, nineteen, Leaky wins. Oh fucking hell, we're gonna have a draw here, aren't we? <laughs> I don't understand the rules. Don't matter. It doesn't matter. I win. All right, one more round. This is the final round. See if we can get Mark to draw. All right, pick your numbers. It's so hard to get a four-way game going on a game like this, on a format like this. So I'm sorry, this is the the shittest game of the three so far. Ollie, nine, nine, Mark, ten, ten, Leaky, thirteen, thirteen, Monksy, one, one, and that's Mark wins. I oh, fucking hell, it is draw. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
how, how good was that, guys? I mean, our first episode. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. I, well, and, and, and Neil was. I thought. I thought it was hilarious. I thought, not hilarious. I thought Neil was hilarious, but Mark was just so. I was just, 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 just you know, personable, wasn't he? You know, he was just, just a guy that you know. For me, is it, is, and you mentioned we sort of had a bit of a joke, didn't we? When we had about Cammy and that, about you know, if you were on Soccer Saturday, what would you be like? I could see him doing Soccer Saturday. Yeah, I, I thought I meant to ask um, Mark this, and I'm, I've, I kind of regret that I didn't. If he had any plans for any coaching or managing, because he seems so knowledgeable about the game and about all the other aspects of the game, like the mental side of it as well. If he isn't going into coaching, that's a massive loss to the he game. Is, he is doing his badges at the moment, and he has got a role at Kanky um, with the kids in a minute. I thought he was... Um, I thought Leaky as well. I thought Leaky was a little bit prickly to start with, but not in a bad way, but he was a little bit spiky, and then he kind of... He opened up a little bit, I think. Yeah, that's just him. That's just Leaky. <laughs> yeah, I think he... Um, I think they were both... certainly got into it. As an episode, lads, what, where are we ranking that out of the three? Where, where, where do we think that sort of... We, we kind of lost a little bit on the format. None of the clips were really discussed in that, in that great detail, but I think that they sort of held in comparison to the guests, I think. It was yeah. a lot... It was um, more serious than the ones where we just basically ran into each other and just took the mickey out of each other, but I think you can... We, we don't want to just come across as a three idiots, so I, the fact that we actually were more sensible, I thought, was good. Yeah, yeah, it's not you know. When I, I mean, my one of my one of my city mates listened to the um, the two podcasts the other day and said it's absolutely hilarious. One of the funniest things he's he's heard. There certainly wasn't very much humour. There was a, a bit in there certainly, but it was more serious, as you say, Ollie. You know, and but I think it was serious for the right reasons. And you know, the 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 stuff that came out from from Mark. Anybody would want to listen to that, whether you supported Bristol Rovers, Newport County, Barnsley, Darlington, whatever, you know, it was, as you say, it was very candid, it was very knowledgeable, and you know, it was a bit more serious, but there's nothing wrong with that, is there? Cheers for joining us at the Toe End Bar, guys. Have a good week, and we'll uh, we'll see everyone soon. We are at Toe End Bar on Twitter, um, and that's pretty much it. Cheers, guys. See you later. Toe End Bar, live from the Vatican. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>